Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to Hot Topics. If you're new here, consider liking, subscribing, sharing, uh, ringing the bell. The comment section is open. We would love to hear from you. Uh, this is TruthQuest Podcast. It's our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so that we can know what to believe. I love 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scriptures given by the inspiration of God is profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing. That means that we want to take God's word in, believe it, receive it, live it, so that we can find ourselves being the people that God wants us to be by the work and the power that God has for us. Now, our first question today comes from our study from Wednesday night, and we talked some about generational curses from the book of Galatians, and so I was asked to clarify that. So we have our question. Now, let's bring that back up again. So we have our first question that is uh, from our Bible study this weekend. Could you elaborate further on why the Bible does not teach generational curses? And I understand why this question is being brought up. And I talked about it on Wednesday night because there are those who would hold rallies, tell people they were under generational curses. Which one of us doesn't have something that our parents weren't doing that was wrong? My dad had a horrible temper. He would have outbursts of anger. I was prone to that as well, especially as a young man, newly married, even with children because I had seen it. But that doesn't mean that I was under the curse of my father. Now, the reason they say this is because the law had a promise in it, Deuteronomy 27 and 28, that if you kept the law, you did what God wanted you to do by the law, then you would be blessed. And the blessings of Deuteronomy 28 are wonderful. But if you didn't do it and you broke it, you would be under the curse. And the curses were awful. And so under the law, if you didn't do it, then you would be under a curse. That's why when people today talk about living the law, wanting to go back to the law, which I believe has to do with our pride, by the way, because if we're saved by undeserved favor, how can you brag about that? But if I'm keeping the law, if I'm going to church on, on Sunday, if I'm keeping the code or Saturday, if I'm keeping the kosher laws, then I'm okay. So... In the law, there were three passages where God talked about visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the sons and daughters. There's three things that are in common on these, and I want to show them to you today by some notes that I have on this topic. So let me go ahead and, and bring that up for you, and we can take a look at it. The first one is Numbers 14, 18, and it says basically what all three of these are going to say. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. So God will forgive if you repent, but he will by no means clear the, clear the guilty. This is that only someone would have to pay, and Jesus did, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Now, if this is somehow the curse of the law, it could just be the propensity of someone to do what their fathers did, and it takes that long to shake it out. No one lives by themselves. What we do affects the people around us, and what we do affects our children. And if this is that curse that's under the law, we are no longer under the law. And therefore, we don't have to go to rallies. 
hear about what our parents did that were bad and that we struggle with them, go stand in line and have someone deliver us from the curses. That's not what this passage is saying. This was under the law. Deuteronomy 5, 8 and 9, very, very similar. I'm not going to take time to read that, but I do want to read the next one. Ezekiel 24 through 6. And that's because at the end, it talks about the mercy of God. Listen to what it says. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. This is idolatry under the law. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Again, under the law. Again, idolatry. And then God passing it on to, to the children of the third and fourth generation. That would not mean that we are under generational curses. This is becoming a popular teaching once again that we should look away from. Jesus became a curse for us on the tree. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 24, 16. Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sins. Ezekiel 18, 20 says the same thing. I want to see if I have Ezekiel 18. I do, 2 through 6. Okay, let me read this one to you. Okay, it says, What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, says the Lord God. You shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. God was frustrated because they said, our fathers ate sour grapes and our teeth are set on edge. It's not my fault I'm sinning. It's my dad who did it. Even under the law, they were responsible for their own sin. And God said, no longer say this proverb. He goes on to say, Behold, all souls are mine, and the souls of the Father, as the souls of the Son, are mine. The soul who sins shall die, but if a man is just and does what is lawful and right, if he has not eaten on the mountains, meaning idol worship, nor lifted up his eyes to idols on the house of Israel, nor defile his neighbor's wife, nor approach a woman during her impurity, he goes on then to talk about that they will be judged for the things that they did. So these are the kind of things they were doing and God was judging them for it, but they would be judged for their own sin and they could repent from it. Now Deuteronomy 27, 26 says, cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of the law by observing them. And this is why you don't want to be under the law. The legalist that comes to you and says, listen, you have to keep the dietary laws or you have to keep the Sabbath laws. Cursed is everyone who, who doesn't keep the law. And all the people said, amen. They all knew that this was the command. The Old Testament ends with the word curse. And Jesus became a curse in our place. Deuteronomy says, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who has hanged, is accursed of God. So when you are hung on a tree, you are cursed, and we're told that we have been set free from that. Listen, if you're in Christ, and you've believed him, and you've invited him into your life, listen to what Romans 8, 1 through 4 says about you. You don't need to go to some meeting 
where someone's going to take you down and pray for you and break the generational curses. I realize you might be frustrated in some of the things that you may be doing, but you don't need to do this. Romans 8, 1 through 4 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I just realized this is not up for you guys. How about that? Um, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of, of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now we walk in the spirit and the requirements of the law are taken care of. All right. So this is, again, really important for us to understand that we are not under any kind of curses. Second Corinthians 5.17 says that if you are in Christ, you're a new creation, old things pass away and everything becomes new. The spirit of God dwells in you, the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're struggling with lust, with alcohol, with, with nicotine, with outbursts of anger, outbursts of wrath, with selfishness, with selfish ambition, these will not be, you will not be set free by someone praying over you to break generational curses. You have to fight against them yourself. You have to confess them. You have to walk in the spirit so you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You have to delight in the Lord so that he can give you the desires of your heart. All of those things that we learn about our weapons being mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Never in any of the epistles do we have generational curses. Never in the book of Acts do we have someone praying to relieve people from generational curses. This to me is a false doctrine like demon possession. Christians are possessed and that's why they sin. The devil made me do it. Christians are doing these things, not because they themselves are doing them and need to repent from them and change, but because they're under a generational curse. It's another way of making an excuse. Even if those passages are talking about generational curses, which I question whether or not they are, but even if they were, it's under the law and you and I are not under the law. The law brings a curse, but God gave us the spirit that we could fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. What an absolute great promise for us here. All right, so it's good to see you guys. Uh, and if you have a question, you can write the word question down and then you can reread it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense. And then we'll go ahead and bring your questions in and we'll answer them for the next few minutes. All right, so it's good to see you guys. Andre has the first question this time. Andre says, when someone lies to a believer, are they really just lying to the Holy Spirit and God? Acts 5, 3 and 4. Or was the story of Ananias and Sapphira an example of the consequences of testing the Spirit? Ananias and Sapphira certainly lied to the Holy Spirit. And this is one of the passages that we use to prove the Holy Spirit is God. You have not lied to men, you've lied to God, he said. And he said that they had lied to the Holy Spirit. Um, so Barnabas had given a gift to the church of land. He gave it with the right heart. 
So Ananias and Sapphira gave a gift to the early church, said it was all that they had, but they kept some back for themselves. Now, if people today were being killed because they did something like this, there would be a lot of people who would confess Christianity who would be killed. I think that Ananias and Sapphira were examples to the early church. Just like after the law was given and they were told to keep the Sabbath day holy, there was one man that went out and gathered firewood or sticks for fire and they put him to death. And you say, well, that guy, that poor guy, there were a lot of other people that did things on the Sabbath day and they weren't put to death. But that guy did, because when God gives something fresh and new, there's, there's this freedom that can come if you live under it. But if you break it, there are problems. And God gives us examples. And I would say for that man in the Old Testament who was killed for collecting firewood on the Sabbath, kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time, it's not that he wasn't deserving of death, but everyone is. He just happened to be killed. And I think that Ananias and Sapphira were as well. If today, anybody who lied to the Holy Spirit, who did something and represented that they did something greater for the church, were to fall over dead, there'd be a lot of people who would be falling over dead. This, this account scared people. And they stopped joining the commune after Ananias and, and um, Sapphira were killed. They were living, putting everything together and living together in this commune. And it stopped after this was um, this happened. And I just think it's an example. So your question here, when someone lies to a believer, <clears throat> are we really just lying to the Holy Spirit and God? Or is the story of Ananias things an example of consequences <clears throat> of testing the Spirit? Um, I don't think it's an example of testing the Spirit. I, I think that it was the fact that the church was brand new. Ananias and Sapphira had this sin. And God, unfortunately, makes examples of certain people. Remember, it happened in Corinth as well. They were not taking communion properly. And the Bible says that God was put gone. Some of them had gone to sleep because of it. And some of them were sick. And so God was dealing seriously with them. And it's one of the reasons that we say today, let's take communion in a serious manner. And so um, if God were dealing with us today in the church the same way he did with Ananias and Sapphira, Every time we sing the song, I surrender all, I surrender all, we raise our hands, knowing we weren't surrendering all, people would start falling over in the church. So I'm glad that we're in a time of mercy and grace, but there was something very pure about the gospel, even very pure about the law, when the law was first given and when the gospel was first given. All right, Andre, thank you very much for your question. I appreciate that. We have a question from Fact Check These Hands. Good to see you. Question, would it be permissible for a Jew to sacrifice a genetically modified heifer or must the heifer be born naturally? So the first thing I think of when I read your question, Fact Check These Hands, is that we're not under the law anymore. And the Jews aren't under the law anymore. We've all been set free, both Jew and Gentile. We receive Christ. The gospel goes out to Jew and Gentile alike. And the Bible says that in a few places when it's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, how it changes people. 
and how people are transformed by it. And we are not to give sacrifices. And so there's the red heifer that is supposed to cleanse the temple. And people are talk about talking today about genetically modifying the red heifer so that they can cleanse the temple when it's newly rebuilt. This is something that the Jewish people are turning back to instead of the sacrifice of Christ. It's not something that I think that God would be pleased with. So I don't think that it matters whether it's natural or, or genetically modified. I think we're seeing these things come to pass and I believe that they're going to come to pass and maybe, you know, they thought they had a red heifer, but they found a flaw in it. So that was one of the problems. Um, what about genetically modified sheep, sheep and not just um, a red heifer? What about that? Um, so again, we are not under the law and neither are the Jews and no one can make themselves right by sacrifices. That's what it meant in Hebrews 10 when it said, if we sin willfully, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin because they thought they could go back to the temple and start giving sacrifices when Jesus had given his sacrifice already. They were going to trample the blood of Christ again because they were returning to the concept of sacrifices and it was wrong. And I think that's one of the reasons that the temple was destroyed so that we would know that we don't go back to the temple system. All right, so um, sorry, I couldn't give you an exact answer to your question. Um, if the temple were around today, if it was, if sacrifices were for today, would God accept a genetically modified heifer or must the heifer be born, born naturally? <laughs> I would have to say, I don't know. I wouldn't be able to answer that, but I can say that we are not, Jews are not under the law today and they cannot keep them. They cannot be saved by the law. That would be taking something that is ungodly and trying to make it so that they could um, try to make a way to God without Christ. When all of those things were about Christ. So we have a question from Jari. Jari, thank you for your question and good to see you. Jari says, what about generational blessings and job, um, and job occupations? Is that right? So you're asking if... I live a, a godly life. Is that going to be passed down to my children? First of all, each child has to make a decision for themselves. They have to believe in God for themselves. But I do believe in what we could call the umbrella effect. And that is that if I'm a sinful man, I'm going to affect my children under that umbrella of sinfulness. It's just natural. It just happens. If I'm a man that seeks God, then I'm going to have this umbrella of blessing over my children. doesn't mean they're guaranteed to be saved. It just means that there's a blessing that happens. Job occupations. Yeah, oftentimes, especially in old, in them, oh, their olden days, uh, they would follow in the occupation of their parents. We don't see that much in our day. You say, example, my mom and dad were pastors and passed the mantle to me now. I'm a pastor and my son and daughter our pastors, etc., And I think that that's awesome. Jari, what an absolute blessing for you to have had parents that were pastors, to have your children be pastors. And could God be doing that for you? Certainly. Could that be a blessing? Yes. I have no problem believing that we as Christians are under a blessing. That doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen to you. 
because the Bible says that in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That is that we're living with the blessings of God, but our lives are still going to have tragedies that take place in them. So I have no problem with that. My problem lies in the generational curses and the promise of deliverance from a stronghold in a non-biblical way. That's my main problem. I might even say that I don't have that much of a problem with the concept of sin under the law being passed down to the children underneath it, especially when they were under the law. My main problem is that people, my main difficulty with this is that people are trying to find new ways to be able to overcome sinful activity. And that's the curses. Being under a blessing from our parents who are godly, I hope so. I want to pass blessings on to my children. And I think it's great that you're, you know, have all these pastors in your family. That's awesome, Jari. May the Lord bless you in your ministry and your children in their ministry as well. All right. So thank you very much, Jari. I appreciate your question. Have I have no problem with blessings. I don't know if we could call them generational, but we do live under an umbrella and we affect our children by the way that we live. All right. We have a question that comes to us from YouTube. Keeping it real. Took me a little bit to read your uh, YouTube name. Keeping it real. All right, let's keep it real. Uh, question. When will the raptured church be living, or where will the raptured church be living during the millennium? We are ruling with him, so do we live in heaven, or do we live in corrupt bodies? Okay, part of this question I can answer, keeping it real, and part of it I can't. So let's talk about the part I can't answer. And that is, I, that I can answer. That is that we will not be living in corrupt bodies. Because when we are, when Jesus comes back for his church, it's called a mystery. And it's one of the reasons that people have so much difficulty really understanding it. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 that, behold, I tell you a mystery, we are not all going to sleep. And by sleeping means die. But some are going to be changed in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. This corruptible is going to put on incorruptible. This mortal is going to put on immortality. And then we see the, the dead in Christ rise first. And then we who are alive meet him in the air. And it's a resurrection. And we are given our new glorified bodies. So no, we are not going to be living in corrupt bodies. We're going to be like Christ. Christ could show up when doors were locked and windows were barred. He could sit down and eat. He could blind the eye or um, restrain the eyes of someone who foreseen who he was. We are going to be like him. So when we're living during the millennium, we're going to be ruling and reigning, not in corrupt bodies. Well, where will we be living? I don't know. We know the new Jerusalem will come down to earth and we'll be living there, we assume. Uh, we know that Jesus went to prepare a place for us and come again and bring us to that place. So will we be able to leave that place and come to the new one? Will we be part of the spiritual realm, which seems to not really have, well, I don't know if it really has time involved in it from getting to from the spiritual realm into the physical realm. Will we just be able to go and be with him? 
And all of these are questions that are just really hard to answer. And I don't know that we'll be able to answer them. Um, there might be a passage that would help us out to where we live during the millennium, but I don't know of it. So I'm going to have to give you and I don't know, but sorry about that. But I would rather do that than just say something just because I want to say it. All right. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. And um, all right, we have a question from Carl and Rod Sanchez from Facebook. Good to see you guys. Uh, Jesus is eternal. He was, is, and is to come, right? Revelation chapter one. He lives outside of time. I believe so. Do you think that every time we sin, Christ feels that agony over and over again? I'm thankful for Christ. Why can't we stop sinning? All right, so we've got a couple of questions here again. Let me, before we can make a statement like this, let's just say that I'm going to teach that because Christ is eternal, he lives outside of time, we're in time, we're passing through time, Jesus entered into time, gave a sacrifice for us, and then he, he went back outside of time again where he exists. Now, if I'm going to teach that every time we sin, Jesus feels our suffering, I'm going to have to have a passage. I can't just come up with something ad hoc, just out of the blue, and say, this is what I believe. As a pastor, it's the last thing you want to do. You want to teach the word of God. You don't want to speak for God. And so I would say, no, Christ doesn't feel the agony over and over again. That he defeated sin and death. He made an open spectacle of the devil. Our sins are forgiven by the blood that was shed of Christ. He died in our place. He became a curse on the tree to set us free from the curse that we were under. And so we have been completely set free from him. Now, why can't we stop sinning? Now, that's a whole other question. So 1 John chapter 1, I think it's verse 6 says, if we say we have no sin, we're a liar and the truth isn't in us. So even if you are no longer thinking you're sinning, you are still sinning. There are, there's pride, there's spiritual pride, there's judgment. There are things that we do just as we walk through this life, the way we think, selfish ambition, there's just things that happen to us and we sin. Then there's outright deliberate sin. And if you've got some stronghold in your life, like these generational curses that we're talking about that people say, how do we battle against them? And I'm so glad that we have the last two chapters in the book of Galatians because it tells us how to do it. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If you sow to the spirit, from the spirit, you will reap life. If you sow to the flesh, from the flesh, you will reap corruption. So what kind of seeds are you sowing today? Are you sowing to the spirit? Have you sown to the flesh? And if you sow to the flesh, what kind of a crop are you going to get? Because the word sow is a farming term. You're sowing today and you're going to reap tomorrow. So what are you sowing today? What kind of things are you sowing? so that you can reap what's good tomorrow. The weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. 
whatever things are good, whatever things are holy, whatever things are pure, think on these things. A couple of passages that I use when I'm talking to people about struggling with certain sins is delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. If the desires of your heart right now are some kind of sin, then you want to get away from it. But if the desires of your heart are for God, then he's going to give you the desires of your heart. And the more you delight in him. So my question is today, are you delighting in God so that he can give you the desires of your heart? Jesus said in John 15, my word, if my word abides in you and you abide in me, you can ask whatever you desire and it will be given you. Same thing. Are you abiding in Christ today? Is his word abiding in you? Are you sowing to the spirit today? Are you walking in the spirit so you do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh? We can be victorious over sin. We can remove those things from our lives. It doesn't mean that we will get rid of sin completely. And when we do sin, we come to him and ask him to forgive us because he is so gracious and so good that he forgives us of all of our sins. And that's just so good for us to know. If we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we want God to be working out that practical righteousness in our lives. The Bible says the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. Let that inward man be renewed as you walk in the spirit, as you sow to the spirit, as you delight yourself in the Lord, as you abide in Christ and his word abides in you. Psalms 1, I think, says the same thing. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the ways of sinners, nor sets in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, this is the blessed man's delight, is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. And whatever he does will prosper. Whatever you put your hands to will prosper. If we will love the word of God and not follow the advice of the world. And so why can't we stop sinning? Because we're not sowing the right seeds. And you say, well, I really want to stop, but start sowing today because this, the crop you're, you're getting from now is from the seeds that you've planted in the past. So we want to make sure that we're sowing good, godly seeds today. How have you sown to the work of the Spirit today in your life? All right. Thank you, Kara uh, and Rod. I think I called you Carla before. Kara and Rod, thank you very much for your question. Um, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the struggle of really wanting to give that purity to God and having some difficulty uh, when it comes to being able to give that purity over to the Lord. You're not the only Christian who struggles with that, not the only Christian who feels guilty about it, but we should feel guilty. Um, all right, let me, uh, let me go ahead and bring in fact check these hands. Fact check these hands says, what causes some to be remnant believers while others, born-again Christians, are still attached to their worldly lives. All right, so I'm not familiar with the term remnant believer. Uh, 
Um, so I'm not really sure what you're referring to with that, but I can kind of, I think, figure it out. While other born-again Christians are still attached to their worldly lives, um, some people do a better job of setting their mind on Christ. And other people don't. And there's some people like Samson that seem to struggle forever. There's some people that seem to return back to their sin and then back to Christ and back to their sin and back to Christ. And I'm not willing to say that they're unsaved. Then there's some people who say, you know, I got a little action going on on the side. I got a little sin taking place, but I love God and I'm living for him. Now to that person, I would say, look, be very careful. Because the Bible says, if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. And he who says that he loves God, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. And so those two people are two different people entirely. The person that says, I got this sin going on. I'm going to go ahead and keep that. I'm not going to try to live for him. And the person who's struggling, who seems to struggle, who seems to enter in and out of being spiritual or loving God from this really on fire position to not following him at all. Um, I have a question for you. Fact check these hands. What do you think about Samson? Did he go to heaven or not? Samson had some real problems. He had some real struggles as a believer. Did he go to heaven? Well, the Hall of Fame seems to say that he did. I don't think that we can judge people. We can't judge what they're going through now and what they might do in the future. And how do we know that God might not get a hold of them? Maybe someone will struggle with something their entire life. And what a tragedy that would be. Or maybe they won't. Maybe rather than struggling their entire life, they would struggle for a while and then come to a place where they live for him wholeheartedly. That's the hope that we have. And um, what causes some to be remnant believers? I'm just going to say that that's really solid, sold out believers in Christ. Um, yeah, and, and I, the answer to this would be, I don't know. Why do some struggle and why do not, some not struggle? Because some are doing what the Bible says and some aren't. Some are giving the scriptures a high place in their lives and some people aren't. Um, I'm trying to think. Some are loving this life and loving this world and some are loving God and surrendering themselves to him. So I think we could talk about all of the things that would bring us to a place where we're living and serving God wholeheartedly. And we could talk about those things that bring compromise into our lives and asking whether or not we're doing those. <clears throat> All right, fact check these hands. Thank you very much for your question. Again, hey, we see it. We see it a lot within the church, people that are living the way that they should and people who are not. All right, so um, Michelle, I'm going to bring your question in here. So Michelle says, good afternoon. My question is in regards to something I heard on Reach Radio, sermon from Craig Roders. So Craig Roders has been a good friend for a lot of years. He was speaking about how he has done at least one deliverance per week in the last few weeks and had a guest speaker, a pastor from a church in another state who spoke of a woman who came to see him and after talking with her, believed she was a Christian and that she was demon-possessed. My understanding is that a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. Am I wrong? Thank you for your time. All right, Michelle. Um, yeah, 
me and Craig are going to have a difference when it comes to Christians and demonic influence. Now, I don't know about this other pastor because I don't know about him. Christians cannot be demon-possessed. So I don't know who this other guy is. I know that Craig would say Christians cannot be demon-possessed. But he would say that they can be influenced and they need to be delivered. And he's got his own experience in his life where he was delivered and seriously began to walk and follow after Christ. Now, the Bible says, give no place to the enemy. The Bible says, put on your armor and stand and pray. The Bible tells us about our spiritual warfare, which is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We've been guaranteed success. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. But the Bible never has these deliverances for Christians. And that's where me and Craig are going to differ. We're just going to differ from it. I love him. He's a brother in Christ. Um, I'm just not going to believe the same thing that he believes about it. Now, I will say, if this other guy said, and I didn't hear it, I know you did, but if you misheard it, maybe, but if you, he said, Christians can be demon-possessed, that's wrong. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Nowhere did Jesus ever say a Christian could be possessed or that needed to be delivered. Nowhere in the book of Acts do we find a Christian struggling with something in their lives and being delivered from a demonic spirit. We see non-believers, but not believers. And never in any of the epistles are we given any direction to take someone that's got some sin in their lives or struggle, bring them in and deliver them. I think that this is a mistake. Now, again, Craig has to answer to God on what he does. But I think it's a mistake to go through these kind of deliverance things because they're not biblical. And I don't think you can build a biblical case for it. I would love to hear what Craig would say about the, de the deliverance, what Pastor Craig would say about the deliverance and where that's at in Scripture. Could it be that a Christian gives place to the enemy? Could it be that he allows Satan to be able to do certain things in his life and then Satan has a stronghold and he needs to be delivered from that? I don't know. I still find difficulty with it. I think that's a more probable case than just Christians out there needing to be delivered. All of a sudden, wow, well, you just need to be delivered. And um, yeah, Christians cannot be demon-possessed. And, and Craig doesn't teach that. Craig teaches that it's oppression and I, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth because I don't know what kind of terminology he uses. I just know that we have this difference of opinion about how demonic spirits work. And I know he builds it on his own experience. And I don't know. I Sometimes I think that that can be a problem. All right. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. I appreciate your question. And yeah, you can't be possessed as a Christian. And neither do we find anywhere where the Bible tells us that we have to be delivered from demons. We're told to, to put on our armor and stand. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, stand against the enemy. Your feet prepared with the gospel. Take the gospel of Jesus Christ out into a lost and perishing world. Let people get saved. And when they're saved, all things become new, right? First, uh, second uh, Corinthians 5, 17. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things pass away and everything becomes new. It wouldn't seem to me there would be a place for the de a demon 
to have to be delivered out of that process. Romans 8.1, which we read earlier in this broadcast, which is there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that we are set free from the law by living in the spirit. And I don't think that we would have to be delivered by any demon by walking in the spirit. It's just not something I see scripturally. Now, I'm willing to change my mind on anything if I can see it in the scriptures. So if someone were to bring me a passage and say, well, what about this passage? Doesn't look like here, like this person was delivered from a demonic spirit and then began to live wholeheartedly for God. And if that's the case, then, then you know, bring it on. I'm, I'm willing to take a look at it and to reevaluate and to ask the questions whether or not I'm right or wrong on that. Um, but a, Christ, a Christian cannot be demon-possessed, and I think, it's, um, I think it's wrong to take them in a back room and for hours talk to them like they're, they're, they're a you know, third person with a demon inside of them until they finally go, oh, you know, I, you can't have them. And they start talking like a demon back to them. I came out of the Pentecostal world, I came out of the charismatic world, and I saw those things happen. And I could tell you a couple of unfortunate cases that should have never have happened. One of them involved someone who was mentally handicapped that they did something like this to for hours and it should have never have been done. It should have never have been done. So we just need to stay away from these kind of things, I think, that are just, again, not biblical. And um, I could have a conversation with Craig about it. I don't know if we would come to any agreement about it because like I said, he's got his experiences. Um, and But I would love to know the scriptures that he would use to defend the position that someone has to be delivered from some kind of demon op- oppression. And like I said, just to clarify, the Bible says give no place to the enemy. So is it possible that as a Christian, I could give place to the enemy, that the enemy would be able to have an influence in my life? Do what I need deliverance then? Again, without it, without it ever being in any of the epistles, without being in the book of Acts, without Jesus talking about it, believers ever being possessed or having to be delivered from demons. I just don't see it. All right? So thank you very much. And I love Craig. He's a friend. I, um, but it's okay for friends who love each other to disagree with each other theologically. All right? I just think it's um, a doctrine that is not a proper doctrine. So we have another question here. Uh, It's actually a follow-up from Jari. Jari says, follow-up, will climate be different during the millennial kingdom because the surface of the earth changes during the millennial kingdom? No more mountains and islands. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the climate will be like. It'll be like San Diego, year-round, 72 degrees and beautiful, you know, that San Diego year-round will be like San Diego all over the world. I don't know. I, I don't think there's any way that we can know any of these kind of questions, Jari, about what exactly the millennial period will be like. Um, and maybe we want a little mystery anyway. We want to get there and see it and go, what is this about? What is this like? All right. So, um, Let's see. We have a question here from Brandon. Brandon joins us from YouTube. Brandon says, if under Christ we are no longer under curses, how come we are still under the results of the fall? 
So that's, and that's a really good question. The Bible tells us that all creation is groaning with us for the redemptions of our body. So our spirit has been born again. That which is born of the flesh, Jesus said, is the flesh. That which is born of the spirit is born of the spirit. And we, our, our spirit, our soul, has translated from being a citizen of earth to a citizen of heaven. And I am no longer under that curse. I'm walking in the freedom that Christ brings. But my body has not been redeemed yet. And the whole creation waits for the redemption of my body. My body still has corruptible. But one day it will put on incorruptible. But because it's corruptible, I'm still under the fallen cur the curses. And I think that the curses are still in play from the fall. Now, not under the law. We have never been told that we are not under the fall anymore. We know that we have um, a sin nature still. When we get up into heaven, we're not going to have a sin nature anymore. We know that we're going to die. The result of Adam and Eve eating of the fruit was dying. And so we know that we are still under that curse. We know we died spiritually and had to come back to life physically. So the answer to that is the work of God in redeeming us from that curse is not done yet. We're in the process of that one. However, the law, we have been, we are set free from the curse of the law. That's what it says in Galatians chapter 3. In fact, let me just take time uh, to pull that particular passage up real quick. Galatians 3, I just want to read this to you because it talks about us being set free from these, uh, from these curses. So Galatians 3, and I think it's right in the beginning. Uh, actually, it's down a little bit. Let me get there. Um, all right, so I'm going to bring this up on the screen for you here, I think. Wrong one. Okay, there we go. Um, so this is Galatians 3.10. For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse. That's the curse of the law. And people were trying to go back under the law. They're putting themselves back under a curse, which is why we don't want to do that. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law. That means that if you want to go back and start keeping the Sabbath day, keeping the kosher laws, keeping the festivals and new moons, then you're putting yourself under a curse. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. That is by the law. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now this is said of the law. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He has not redeemed my body from the curse of the fall. That argument is not made in scripture. In fact, the opposite, all of creation groans waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Here we're redeemed from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So Jesus hung on a tree and became a curse for us that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Abraham was before Moses, which was before, you know, before the Jewish nation was Abraham and he was saved by righteousness. And so us Gentiles believe and we're saved, not by keeping the law, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So I think that is the answer there 
to why we are no longer under the law, the curse of the law, but we are still under those curses because we live in a body that's going back to dust. To dust we came from, to dust we go. It's 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 got sin nature. It's corruptible. It's 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 mortal. And one day we will no longer have those, and we will not be under the the, the curse of uh, the fall anymore. So we are our bodies are still under the curse of the fall, although we've been given eternal life in our spirit, so partially redeemed, but we are no longer under the curse of the law, according to Galatians chapter three. So Brandon, if you have any more questions about that, I'll take some follow-up questions. All right, if you are still wondering about that, I think we have some time. I have a question from uh, John P. John comes to us from YouTube. John says, must we always say formal prayers or is it okay to just talk to God through our day? I think, John, that it's okay to talk to God throughout the day. In fact, the Bible says, pray without ceasing. And I think that as Christians, we think to God. We're just talking to him all the time. We're just having that conversation in our mind with him. I think there's a time to sit down, get in a prayer closet, maybe even kneel by our beds and to pray, you know, our Father in heaven. Not just repeating it to repeat it, but really just praying it and meaning it. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and, and just kind of go through that prayer. So there's a time to call out to God, God, help my child. I need you to intervene and do a work where you really call out to him and have some fervency because the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. But I think that our prayers should be conversational. If they're not, I think we end up being maybe like the Pharisees to where we pray to be heard. We pray to be praying good prayers. Like if I'm praying, I'm like, dear heavenly father, I ask that you would help me now to give me the needs of my day. Like that's going to be better to God than me saying, Lord, can you meet me today? Take care of my needs. Thank you. You've said to ask and we would receive. And so I'm asking. I think that our prayer can be conversational and I think that it should be conversational. And I think it's okay. It's okay to be more formal in your prayers. There, I mean, what matters is the heart. And if someone's praying to be heard, however they would be doing it, that's the problem. Praying to be heard by people. Praying to people instead of praying to God. Or praying to themselves instead of praying to God. That's the real problem and the real struggle that takes place. All right? So, yeah, I think that we can just talk to God throughout the day. In fact, I think that we can't keep all of the passages in the Bible without them. All right, so we have a question from Paul. Why did God create the tree of knowledge for Adam and Eve, knowing they would eat it? What if he never made the tree at all? We have to, God gave us choice. And God created a world where there was going to be choice. And had he created a world without any choice, the knowledge of good and evil, then we would love him like robots. There would be no choice. So God's given us choice. The angels have choice too, but the angels are in glory and they choose to fall away. We're not in glory and we choose to take a step towards glory by giving our life to him. 
So I think that when we start saying, why didn't God just make a world where we would love him, serve him, follow him all the time? Why didn't he make a world at all where we would be seeking our own way or not doing the things that God's called us to do instead of, instead of having a choice? Because when you choose to love God, there's something powerful to that. And God had to give people a real choice. And because God is good and God is love, the opposite of that was evil. And if God allowed there to be evil and men to have a choice for that, if God just created a world where everybody was going to serve him, we'd be all like robots. We'd just be serving him and loving him without any choices. But God created a world that we're living in where there's suffering, but God's got a plan for suffering, where there's evil, but God's got a plan for evil and how he is going to bring victory over it and the way that we can overcome these things in our lives. So yeah, if the bottom goal is just paradise, God's just going to create a world without any struggles, any difficulties, then he missed the mark by a lot. Because in this world, we have trouble. We seem to find ourselves struggling, having a lot of difficulties, having a lot of hard times. And um, I wish that wasn't the case. It's not what I would choose. I would choose paradise for, you know, 90 years. And then go be with God. But God did something different. And he set us here that we would live as an example, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ out to the world. And um, so that's why God created the tree of, of knowledge, uh, the tree of, of good and evil, of the knowledge of good and evil. He also created the tree of life so that we could eat of it and have eternal life. Um, but they were banned from the garden after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest they eat of it and remain in that state forever. All right. So, Paul, uh, it's good thinking to be thinking these things through, but also to understand that Jesus came and gave us an example of great suffering and how victory would be brought through suffering. Paul said, I want to know him in the power of the resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. He knew there was something about suffering that allowed God to do a work inside of us. And we complete the work of Christ. People come to Christ when we suffer. And so we struggle with sin and we suffer. And this is the world that we are in. And God could have made a world another way around. And maybe when you get up to heaven, you can ask him. And maybe he'll give you a better answer than what I've given you. But I don't think I'd want to live in that world. I think heaven's going to be radically different than what we think as well. I'm not saying there's going to be suffering in heaven. I just think it's going to be different than what we think. And I don't think I would just want to live in a world where we didn't have a choice to follow and serve God. I think God made a good decision by creating a world and putting people in times and places where they would seek after God. All right, Paul, thank you very much. I appreciate your question. Like I said, um, that is, um, it's a good question. And it's one that a lot of people have thought about over the years that, you know, why couldn't God have just made it a much, much, much easier for us than having us face and struggle and go through these difficulties now? All right, so I'm pulling up a verse here uh, for our next question. So Rod says, good to see you again, Rod. Rod says, uh, do you think that Matthew 24, 19 is happening today? And... 
So let me go ahead and bring this up on the screen for you. So 2419 uh, says, woe to those Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes in those days. And pray that your flight might not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. No, I do not believe that this is happening today, Rod. Um, so as Jesus makes his way through Matthew 24, and we're about to go through Luke 21. We're in Luke 20 now. We're ready to go to Luke 21, which is the parallel passage to Matthew 24 and Mark 13. Um, he's talking about the abomination of desolation. And when you see that, pray that it doesn't happen in the winter or on the Sabbath. Pray you'd be able to turn around and take off because the enemy is going to attack the reestablished nation of Israel. The Antichrist is going to attack the reestablished nation of Israel at that time. We are, we are not there. Uh, I don't know how far away we are. I believe the rapture will happen first before that happens. And then we'll finally get to that. All right. So um, let's see what time it is. So we've got just a few more minutes here. Let's bring in one more question from Fact Check These Hands. Um, all right, let's bring this in and we'll, we'll talk about it. Will those of us with glorified bodies be easily recognized compared to the mortal bodies in um, the MK, mankind? Or will the difference in appearance be subtle? Ah, I'm going to say subtle. I Jesus appeared and they didn't recognize him. Mary, through teary eyes, didn't recognize Jesus. She didn't expect him to be alive, Mary Magdalene, but she didn't. So I think we're going to look somewhat like, like we look today. I think that we can make a case by going back um, into biblical passages and taking a look at it, um, will there be this kind of glory that we have at that time? Again, I don't know. Those kind of, you know, will this happen? Why did this happen? Those kind of questions are really hard to answer. There are certain questions that you can answer really, uh, really strongly. So, um, yeah, I'm looking at Paul Park's comment here, um, talking about Paul being tormented by the, a thorn in the flesh and the infirmity. And, um, yeah, so I think that I, 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 I'm not able to read your whole comment now, but I think that I would agree with you that sometimes God allows spiritual things to work in our lives. And I don't know that Paul was delivered from that though, but I, I, I see the point you're making. All right, so this is the end of our broadcast. Really glad you guys could join us. Love you. Stay close to Christ. Love him. Sow good seeds today. Sow to the Spirit today so you can reap from the Spirit tomorrow. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. All right, uh, stay close to Jesus uh, we have a service in an hour from right now. Uh, we are going to be talking about the gospel preached by Jesus. We're going to look at the different qualities of the gospel message that Jesus taught. See if that's connected to the Old Testament and the promises of the gospel that would be preached and the gospel that was preached after his resurrection in the book of Acts and in the epistles. 
So I think it's going to be a really good study. If you want to join us, you can join us online. If you're here in Tucson, you can come down and join us live. All right. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us. It's been good being here with you. I'm going to sign out now. We will talk to you guys.